0: All right. Well, uh, we're going to jump into "You Ask for It" live. So we've been in a series the last few weeks called "You Ask for It," and in this series, I've taken on topics that you ask for. And uh, and so, just based on uh, your questions, had hundreds and hundreds of questions. Really, we filtered through and tried to to try to encapsulate the best um, concentration of those through a series of messages. And so, today is your chance. To ask me your question, if you want to ask a question, we had a great time last night. We had some very difficult questions, very interesting questions, and so we 'll probably podcast all three services, assuming they 're all going to be different and so i 'm going to start with some while you 're getting some questions in, and then we 'll go from there and so um, and so here's a here 's a question: um, Will we know our friends and family when we go to heaven? Will we know our friends and family? When we go to heaven, I think it's a good question, um, and truthfully, um, I, I think yes, absolutely. I think according to Corinthians, we'll actually know and be known uh, on a different level, and so I think actually in heaven, um, heaven. Unfortunately, most of Christendom interprets the Bible as how do you get to heaven, instead of the whole story is a restoration story about God restoring creation. Right. And so heaven isn't a place that we all go to. There is a place where, you know, the Bible says to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So there is a place um, that we go to be with Jesus uh, if we were to die today and we're in faith. Right. So so we go to be We are present with him and, and we call that heaven. And the problem is, we think then that the goal is to get there. When actually the whole Bible talks about the restoration, that creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God that God wants to actually restore. And so when we interpret the writings of Paul, if we're not careful in, in Christian reality and Christian circle and all this, we always think the Bible is a roadmap to get there instead of how God wants to restore a fallen creation. And so because of that, we don't go there and start over and forget everything. God actually, a new Jerusalem comes down. So this all culminates with the restoration of all things. This is the hope, right? And so in the restoration of all things, I don't forget who I am. I just more truly know who I am. And I don't forget who you are. I just more truly know who you are. Now, the Bible, Jesus said very clearly, we're not going to be given in marriage. In other words, it's not going to be marriage at that point because it would be a more perfect um, picture and, and creation and reality, and so because um, they ask him a question, you know, if if this person was married and then husband died and she got married again, kind of thing, then then when we get to heaven, who does who she belong to, kind of thing, and she said it's not how it works in the kingdom because it's a it's a greater reality, and so I just I want to um, you know the way I would answer that I think if you look. Um, at, at what Thessalonians says, it talks about us being restored. We'll be together with Jesus, but we'll restore those who are, who have died will rise and we'll be restored. Um, and then Jesus kind of makes some references. He even tells the disciples, hey, I'm not going to eat this this supper again until I'm with you. And so it, he's going to know that he's with them and they're going to know that they're with him. And so there's some different references throughout the Bible, I think, that make a pretty clear picture that, yes, we will actually know each other in, in heaven, if you will. But again, let's make sure we know what heaven is. Um, hev- heaven is what we kind of call where we would go today if we died. But then there's the second coming of Christ where God comes and starts restoring everything. And so that's that's kind of a, a different picture. So um, so hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. How do you find hope um, when you have none? Um, yeah, I think... Um, It's a good question. This type of year is a great question. Um, Finding hope when you have none. I think, first of all, um, we have to look at, I think, the difference between the hope that God is and what we typically hope for. So there are things we hope for, like I hope this, I hope that, I hope this. Um, you know, I hope my marriage is great. I hope my husband gets a promotion. I hope. And so there's that kind of hope. And then there's like this eternal hope that we have in God, that God is going to restore all things, that our story is going to be told rightly, that we're going to be reunited with those in faith who went before us, that, um, we're going to more know who we are. We're going to know who God is. We're going to know each other. It's kind of that same idea. And I think finding hope has a lot to do with, um, how you see things. Um, I really think that many times it's how I think and how I see that determine the hope that I have. Um, because I've met people in very, very difficult situations who seem to have a lot of hope. And i met people in maybe less difficult situations who say they have no hope. And a lot of that is based on what I dwell in. So first of all, what is my hope grounded and founded in? That none of this, this is never the end. Like my story is going to be told better than it is today. Um, I'm, you know, th- this, is not, this is not actually the end of everything. This is the journey. And because there's a journey, there's something to look to, right? Hope is meaning I have nothing to look to. Does that make sense? And so finding hope is about what am I looking to? What what is my expectation? What am I living for? Who is God? Who am I? In the light of God, who am I? And I understand we go through really, really difficult circumstances. You know, It Is Well With My Soul, that song we all sing, was written by a man on a boat when he got to the spot where the boat went down with his wife and his children. So how do you have hope when you're sailing across the ocean and you come to the place where you lost all of your family? Yet he picks up a pen and writes, it is well with my soul. How could he do that? Because hope wasn't based on what he could see today. Hope was based on where he was going tomorrow. It was futuristic. It was, I'm looking there. I'll be reunited with my family you know i'm going to find my purpose god still has a plan for me and so i think hope is when we can't see out here this is where we get hopeless there's no hope anything can change but if god is in the mix anything can change at any time so i've got to change what i look at and what i think about to have hope and and you know hope has to be grounded in faith faith hope and love does that make sense and so to me i think that's that's how you how you do that? Let me see here. How do you find peace when going through a divorce when three kids are involved? Um, that's a hard question. Um, I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, that is, that's a, that's a critical situation, and um, no doubt it's going to be hard. Um, but I think, I think there again we go back to there's these these tensions between biblical understandings or, or spiritual understandings of words. And, uh, and, and then kind of the, the cultural application. When you understand that peace in the Bible never is the absence of conflict. Peace is always the presence of a person. And so he is the prince of peace. So if I need everything, in fact, when, when, when it says he'll be called the prince of peace, when that scripture is talking about the world's in complete conflict. Like there is nothing peaceful. In fact, when the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to men, There wasn't peace on earth. Have you lived here a while? (laughs) Um, So they weren't saying that the earth is peaceful. They were saying peace is now on earth. Like there's access to a peace that is not circumstantial. Does that make sense? And so in this situation, that's a hard situation. Hopefully, maybe you're working with a counselor or, or something like that, especially where the kids are concerned and trying to process that and make sure they're having a voice and keeping them talking. Hopefully, mom and dad are being respectful to each other in front of the kids because like, the kids don't need to pick who the bad guy is um, and they don't need to pick. One over the other. So, so, hopefully, those things are not going on. But as far as the question of having peace, when I understand that peace is a person and not circumstances, because if I need for peace to be tied to circumstance, I can never maintain peace. Right? So, but if peace is all about the presence of a person in my life, I can have peace, right? That doesn't even make sense. In fact, I can have peace that is beyond understanding. Right? Because now it's about the presence of a person and, and not the absence of a conflict. And so to me, I think that's where I have to get grounded in my faith and understand. And I know it could be hard. Like, you know, God, I believe for this marriage, and it's still, it's still not going to make it. But you have to understand there are wills involved, and people make choices. And, and God is still God, even in the midst of every storm. <clears throat> and so it, it, you draw near to him, and you cling to him, and you look at him. Um, and you know you you get close to him, and you realize that he is peace, even when there doesn't seem uh to be peace. Is there anything in the Bible dealing with interracial relationships? I think it's a great question um because I've heard a lot of religious silly people in fact, I've been asked this question a few times or well it, yeah, and that'd probably be the nice way to say it um and um and you know to me there's there's just not. There's not. And I know there's some Old Testament Bible thumbers saying, wait a second, God said don't intermarry to Israel when they went into the land. Okay, if you'll read the Bible, you'll find out that he wasn't actually talking about race at all. He was talking about faith. He said there shouldn't be interfaith marriage, right? In other words, don't be unequally yoked because in that day, if they married someone of a different faith, they had to celebrate their religious traditions and customs, Right? Okay, just believe me on that, because I've studied it. And so, there, first of all, let me say this. I can tell this while i sure. There is nothing in the Bible against interracial relationships. Absolutely no scripture whatsoever. And if anyone misconstrues that, then they're really working hard. The only thing in the Bible, and this is where in the Deep South, especially in the Civil Rights Movement and all the hateful things that were said, what they took is God's command not to mix faith and turned it into race. And I think if you'll study Moses, Moses and his wife, Zipporah, that was an interracial marriage, right? And he was a bad man. Like he was the one who said, let my people go, right? So I think God's okay with it. Um, are you with me? <laughs> right? So, um, but no, in, in the simplest form, the Bible says absolutely nothing against uh, interracial couples or interracial marriage, and I think that 's just something that that um, unfortunately is is a byproduct of some ignorance uh, and some bigotry <laughs> and you know some deep roots and deep wounds and all that stuff, and that stuff needs to die so um, so anyway, so no nothing nothing at all against that and I can say i 've studied it because i 've been asked that question, and so I did study it. I knew there was nothing against it, but I want to be able to answer the question so you know the only thing god talks about is our faith that's that's what's valuable to him i don't you know i think two things god doesn't see color and god does see color and to him it's all equal right and and so um so no that's that's to me I know that we're in the South, and I know that there's probably been hateful things heard, and people have heard hateful things, but there is, I just want to say, there's just nothing in the Bible that caused an interracial marriage wrong or sinful. I think, I don't know if you've ever seen interracial babies, but they're the prettiest you can get. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Man, like, um, there's a few I had to, we'd take home with us, but... Um, beautiful children. And so, anyways, yeah. That stuff needs to die. Racism just needs to die. It's silly. Um, can one be politically correct and biblically correct at the same time? <laughs> uh, no. And so, um, next question. Uh, no. Um, I don't know, you know. Um, <laughs> um, I, you have to define politically correct. I don't think Jesus is politically correct. Um, I don't think Jesus is hateful either, Right. And so I know we have all these politically correct ways to say things. And I, and I think it's been overcooked so much that now we can't even be honest with each other and even have a conversation because I'm not, you know, I'm, there's not a short person that's a vertically challenged person. You know, it's like, okay, all right, if that's the way we need to say it, I, I'm tall, you know, I'm metabolically challenged, you know, so, um, so um, anyways, um, I, you know, I think here's the thing. And this is because i 've been asked this question, like, "How can someone vote this way, knowing this is what they support, and call themselves a believer, and how can someone vote this way and call themselves a believer?" and I think the problem is it 's kind of back kind of back to am I a Democrat and then a Christian am I a Republican, and then a Christian, or am I a Christian and then everything comes out of that right so I think kingdom has to come first before political party political preference. And I think kingdom has to come first, even, even when I'm approaching politics. And I know that makes it very hard because it doesn't look like the kingdom's in politics at all. Um, but the kingdom is over, right? The kingdom is above. Of his government, there will be no end, right? Romans 13, he, he appoints those he wants in, in charge. And so I think you've got to put kingdom first, and if kingdom is first, then what happens next? I, you know, I'd think you do the best you can based on your convictions. For me, I've said it many times. When it comes to who I'm going to vote for, it, to me it doesn't matter the color of their skin, their political party. It doesn't matter anything. None of that even matters. What matters is based on biblical values. Who's the closest? Right? Because I'm always going to vote to protect the innocent, the unborn. I'm always going to vote for that. Doesn't matter to me, male, female. This race or that race, this party, that party, independent, none of that stuff matters to me. I'm going to vote to protect this. I'm going to vote to protect religious freedom. I'm going to, you know, there's some things I'm going to vote for that have nothing to do really with the person at all. It's more is who is that person going to support? That's my personal conviction. If that's not your conviction, you're like, you know what? I I voted this way since my whole family's voted this way. Okay, if that's your value, but you're you know, for the person, can you be politically correct and biblically correct? I think you have to put it this way: Can you be biblically correct, and then how does that work out politically? That's just a thought. <laughs> um, if you don't like any of these answers, uh, you just email them um, to uh, we don't care at pathwaylongview I am just kidding. <laughs> um, no, just sorry. Um, I'm, several people have said I cannot believe you are going to attempt this because you know there is no preparation. It's just yeah. So I am dealing with with the spirit of addiction. I feel like I've I've lost the Holy Spirit. I have have I lost my relationship with the spirit? Is he still there? Okay, um, let me simplify. Addiction is not a spirit. So let me help you with that. Um, addiction is a bondage, and it, it you know so so they're they're angelic beings, and that can be demonic angelic beings, or or you know so demons are fallen angels, but addiction is not a spirit. It's it's a bondage, right? Um, and and so once you realize that you're not dealing with a spirit of addiction, you're dealing with a bondage of addiction, then there is a spiritual warfare there, absolutely. Um, but but addiction is not a spirit. It's, it's a bondage. And then can the Holy Spirit be in the presence of someone battling addiction? Absolutely. Because that's a matter of faith and trust, no matter what I'm walking through. And so when you understand you're not being controlled by a spirit of addiction, you're being controlled by a limbic system, which is your body? Addiction choices made out of addiction are all made all made from your limbic system. So your limbic system is the part of your brain that responds and reacts without using the prefrontal cortex. So you kind of have this um, this amygdala in the middle of your brain, and then your prefrontal cortex sticks over it, like it sits over it like this. And your prefrontal cortex—that's where we choose relationships and connection, wisdom, rational thought. All those things come out of that. All the choices of addiction are from the limbic system. The limbic or the amygdala is your fight, flight, freeze or fold. All right. So it's they. Some people call it lizard brain because it's the only brain a lizard has. That's why, like, if you sneak up on a lizard, they either go, or they go, or they, go, you know, that's the only things they know how to do. Right? <laughs> they got these three things that they can do: freeze, fight, or take off. Right. <laughs> And that's all instinctive. In other words, it's not being processed through a prefrontal cortex. Does that make sense? And so it, we call it being triggered would be the same. And so if you're dealing with addiction, all addiction, the, the process of addiction, is choosing from this. In other words, I'm getting triggered. this is flaring up, it's shutting my prefrontal cortex down, and I'm making decisions I wouldn't normally make if I could think rashly. That's why someone can say, "I so don't want to take a hit of heroin." and i just keep doing it and i don't know why because you're not able to use this because there's some woundings and there's some triggers and there's all this stuff that happens right and your brain actually has to be healed and we have to get the limbic system to not be in control anymore so that you can make rational thoughts and choose things right that that will actually be life giving so if it's an addiction you're dealing with brain problems. You're dealing with chemistry. You're not dealing with a spirit, right? Now, I'm not saying there aren't spirits that are tempting and those type of things, and there's spiritual warfare. So there's two components, um, but, but just need to understand th- there's, there's two components, and addiction's actually not a spirit. And so having said that, can I be struggling with addiction and have a relationship with Jesus? Yes. Here's why. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. So my relationship with Jesus is given to me by Jesus' work, not mine, by his performance, not mine, by his grace, not my merit. And he actually maintains, he is my high priest. He maintains my relationship with God. So I have a connection with God based on the performance of Jesus, not the performance of Marty. And because of that, I can have a relationship with God that doesn't change no matter how much I screw up or get right. Does that make sense? And so now God and I can walk through addiction together because he wants me free too. But if you think every time I mess up, God leaves me again, the Holy Spirit's left me and I have to start over again, then you don't even have the spiritual fortitude necessary or, 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 or the power of God necessary or the faith necessary to understand God will walk me right out of addiction. Right? He will walk with me right through it. Like, when you sobered up, God was still there. Right? Because he doesn't leave us or forsake us. Does that make sense? Because our relationship with God is built on faith. So, I don't know. Does that help? Hopefully, it helps. Can a, trans- can a transsexual who has had a reassignment surgery be saved after going through one gender to another? And if she, or he is saved through the grace and truth of God, does he or she have changed back their original sex after salvation? Um, (laughs) well, so much for easy questions. (laughs) So, um, you know, I, I, it's, you know, the real story that happens. Um, can, can they, can they be saved? Yes. Anyone, whosoever will, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Um, can they be saved after a gender reassignment surgery? Uh, yes, they can. Uh, what happens next? Um, I think that's going to come down to the conviction of the holy spirit in their life you know i mean does that make sense um to i think for us to say well if you're really saved you got to switch back i don't know that that's really for us to say does that make sense um you know um i think when you put the holy spirit in a person he starts to work and that's why healthy things grow and growing things change and so I think, you know, that's a that's a hard question to answer. But can someone who's had gender reassignment can they come to faith in Christ? Absolutely. Can an atheist come to faith in Christ? Absolutely. Uh, anyone can come to faith in Christ. What happens after that, that's called that progressive work of salvation, where the Holy Spirit starts renewing my mind, renewing my thoughts, renewing my emotions, renewing my desires. And when that happens, some things may or may not change. I, I don't know really. And and I think, you know, <clears throat> there again, if the goal Is the restoration of all things and the methodology is faith in Jesus, then eventually there's going to be the restoration. Eventually, that person's life is going to be told rightly. When Jesus comes again and all things, we're we're known as we should and we know as we should, you know, the Bible says right now we know in part, when that which is perfect has come, we'll know, right? Then that person's story is going to be told rightly. And so there's going to be a restoration for that person at some point whether that's on this side of the second coming or that side of the second coming if they have faith in christ there's going to be a restoration of it does that make sense my daughter is dating a young man from a muslim family he is agnostic what advice could i give her i'm worried about her being unequally yoked yeah um i think to me muslim family doesn't have a lot to do with it and i know we're all super especially in the south where we love our guns um and i love my guns by the way um we're a little bit sensitive when we talk about Middle Easterners because of all the terrorism. And and, and we should be, I guess, to a certain degree. <laughs> Muslim doesn't have a lot to do with it. Let's talk about the agnostic part. Um, yeah, I think I would be concerned um, as a parent if if assuming my child has faith in Jesus and they're, um, they're in a relationship with an, agno- an agnostic has nothing to do with Muslim or race to me, that faith is always the issue. And the reason is because I've, I've counseled with many and seen many go through a divorce where one was a believer and one was an agnostic and it just gets toxic, right? Um, because it's always going to be a battle. And so, you know, really that's the only talk really that we have with our kids as now they're teenagers and they're starting to notice girls and boys is the only talk we have, we don't have like from what countries or what races or what skin, the only talk we have is, hey, let's pick someone that believes in Jesus, (laughs) right? That's going to be the only thing that matters here. Like if they're, if they believe in Jesus, there's fruit of the spirit in their life. Hey, that's what we're working for. And, and I think, you know, here's the hard thing that I know about teenagers, um, is, uh, if you go take it to the mattresses, they'll do it just to defy you because they, they know everything. Um, right, because they're teenagers. Right, that's why a lot of times you'll, you know, hey, move out, get a job, you know, cure cancer and AIDS and all that stuff before you get to an adult. Right now, while you're a teenager and you know everything, please go do that, um, because when you get to an adult, you'll realize how dumb you are. And so, <coughs> so the hard thing is, you know, what kind of re- you know, what kind of relationship do you have? Could you say, hey, let's not do this relationship because this is not, I don't know the age, but this is not going to work. But maybe you don't have that place. You know, I think the main thing, keep the lines of communication open, but sit down and talk. And, you know, one thing that younger adults don't think about is tomorrow, <laughs> <You> know, right? Because <laughs> we were all teenagers. How many remember being young and we didn't think about tomorrow <laughs> at all? Um, I would say, hey, so what's this look like if you marry this person and they don't, they never go to church with you. They don't celebrate Easter, you know. And and I know the answer is going to be, but you know what? I'm going to pray. Okay, well, let's do this then. Let's not date them. Let's take a step back and let's pray for them. And after they receive Christ, let's talk about dating them again. Since you've got so much faith for their salvation, then it won't matter if you don't date for a year or so. Does that make sense? And so... Because they'll say, oh, no, I got faith. I'm praying, Mama, and, you know, he's going to get saved. And Oh, great, great. Well, let's not date because the Bible talks about being unequally yoked and, and all that. So let's not date, and let's just pray and support him and invite him to church. And when he comes and gets saved, right, and really we see the fruit of repentance in his life and the fruit of righteousness in his life, then you know what? We'll talk about it, Right? So, I mean, you, it's hard to reason with a teenager because they know everything, but um, but I, I would be concerned. Here's what i do as a parent. Keep lines of communication open, talk with them about it, try to get them to see the big picture, try to talk to them about tomorrow, how's that going to work out, um, and then pray like crazy, you know. And to me, like I said, it has nothing to do with um, the man being a Muslim, it has everything to do with... Uh, with the agnostic part. And it says my daughter, so it may not be a teenager, maybe may be nothing you can control. And that's where, again, I just try to process life. Like, ask them, hey, how important is your faith to you? Like, do you think your faith is the most important thing? I mean, because it determines a lot when we're talking about eternity, right? Yeah, it's the most important thing. And then when we're talking about marriage, wouldn't that be the most important common denominator? Right? So how are you going to have a unified marriage when one person... Ag, I don't think you can be an atheist. I think you can be an agnostic, and I won't get into all that. But, <laughs> um, but you can't be an atheist because atheists say God doesn't exist, and you can't prove that. So atheism of itself is based on ignorance. But you can be an agnostic to say, I don't know if God exists, to which I would say, well, I could introduce you. Anyways. <laughs> right? So... Um, how do you trust uh men again when you have been let down so many times it's a good question i you know assuming i don't know how have you been let down um i think the first thing you have to acknowledge which is kind of presupposed in the question that you have a trust issue and it's going to be global it's not going to be related to men although men are going to trigger it more so i think the first thing you have to acknowledge is i have i have an issue with trust i'm not able to give trust And I'm not able to give trust because I've been wounded. My trust has been wounded. And that's valid. So let me say, first of all, that's valid. So it's not wrong that you have trust issues. That sounds negative. It's not. That's just factual information from your question. You're saying, hey, I I just struggle trusting men. And truthfully, if we look, we're going to see you struggle trusting a lot of people. And the reason is we don't trust other people because we're trying to maintain control. Because if we can maintain control, we can limit how much we're hurt. Right. So I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to stay in control. I don't want to trust you. I want to be in control. If I'm in control of me, I don't have to be hurt again. The problem is relationships don't work that way, because once I enter into that realm of trying to stay in control all the time, control is a charade. It's a facade. It's not really possible at all. It's a farce, if you will. And so I can't actually control everything's going to happen to me and what people are going to do and that kind of thing. Right. Does that make sense? And so, um, <laughs> you know, for me, I'll tell you kind of a funny one. There's church people I don't trust. And I don't trust them because I was raised as a pastor's child, right, kid, and I saw the worst from church people, right? And so then I decided to be in the ministry, and so I would decide, am I going to be close to people or distant from people? Am I going to trust people? and I not going to trust people? And so I had to deal with my issues, and that's why when we hire someone, we say, hey, they talk with me, and one of the things is, they say, hey, you know, we're, we're shepherds. Yeah, we're shepherds. We have sheep. Yeah, praise the Lord. Uh, sheep bite. even when you're trying to give them medicine, right? And, and so, um, you know, I've, we've had people in the church get mad because we, we had to pull them in because they were unhealthy, they were toxic, they were hurting themselves, they were hurting other people. We did it lovingly. We said, hey, we want to put together a plan for restoration, but you can't be in leadership right now because you're hurting people. And then they bit me. And, and the way they bite a pastor is they bite me, and then they try to see how many people they can convince that I'm the devil. Right? I don't know why that seems to be. I guess it is the devil. Anyways, you know, you got to ask yourself, like, why do you need to tell everybody I'm the devil when all I did was say you, you can't do that? So, but I had to acknowledge that, hey, there may be some trust issues here, and God, how, how can I have faith in you? And so then I have faith that no matter what people do, God's going to take care of me, and God will restore my soul, and God will heal me, and allows me to start trusting. And so if you're having problems trusting men, the first thing you need to say is, I have problems trusting men. I think you've done that. And then you need to go to God and say, what do we do about restoring trust? And then I think you, and you're already going to be this way, you have to be cautious with where you place trust, but if you're going to restore trust, you have to trust. Like, welcome to the hard thing. Like, if you ever want to trust men, you're going to have to trust one of them. I think you should be selective about that, but you're going to have to place trust in someone. And if you're going to get in a relationship, you should start that by saying, I need you to know I have trust issues. Um, So... Why is the society that we live in trying to divide us instead of unite us? Um, because it makes more money. Right? I mean it does. I mean, you watch how many racially charged articles they throw at the president, you know. And I you know, I'm with everybody else. I wish somebody'd take his Twitter away from him. <laughs> or that doesn't sound good at all. His Twitter. Somebody should take his Twitter away from him. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Anyways. Yeah, I wish he could not tweet anymore. But um, that would be my Christmas wish. But um, but you just look at how many. I mean, if you if you read news articles, it's, they're always going to divide. Whether it's race, whether it's socioeconomic class, you know, anytime there's a tax bill push, they're going to immediately divide the classes and say it's better for this class, not better for that class, better for these people, not better for those people. Um, it, you know, it it's always race, class, religion. Gender, those are all the hot ones. And and why do they do that? Well, I mean, <clears throat> ratings, uh, money, um, you know. I mean, the government typically, you know, think about this. The government typically thrives when people are divided. Right? Right? Wasn't that the problem with the revolution? <laughs> Is that people got unified and said, no, I don't think we're going to do this anymore. Right? <clears throat> Believe it or not, the whole idea, the Second Amendment and why we can't have guns has nothing to do with bad guys. It has to do with so we can maintain peace and we can overthrow our government if we need to. That was why the Second Amendment was, right? The right to bear arms was put in there to protect us against the government, not against a burglar. Right? You know, why Why do you think. <laughs> well, um, there's, I could get in trouble. I read an article about. The Sandy Hook thing, and um, I don't think the Sandy Hook thing even happened. Um, if you if you really study it, they were paying actors to do the interviews, talking about how people had died, and they're not even they're they're paid uh, traumatic traumatic actors. Um, so, anyways, I think it was a political agenda. But yeah, so the government seems to do better when we're not divided. It's just which way they can divide us to get to where they want to go. And um, and then money seems to be made when we're... I mean, think about it. As long as we're in fear, man, you can sell a lot of things to scared people, right? I mean, we even do this in Christian circles. Like, you can buy 800 pounds of dehydrated food today because the atomic war is coming. All right? You can watch that on the God channels or whatever, the Christian TV channels, right? Where we'll pray for you, and today we're going to send you this freeze-dried food. That way, when the world blows up, you can... <laughs> All right, yeah, but somebody's going to come to your house and shoot you and get your free dry food. You know what I mean? It's just... <clears throat> Anyways. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the world in which we live... First of all, we have to understand that there's this whole spiritual war. And, I mean, since the beginning of time, what was the goal of Satan? Division. Divided Adam and Eve, divided Adam and Eve from God, divided Cain and Abel. I mean, he is always working division, so there's something bigger... Um, it's just all the other stuff is kind of puppeteering on his agenda, because the, the greatest thing the enemy fears is unity, because unity is the highest value of the kingdom, right? A kingdom divided against itself can't stand, right? So if I don't want a kingdom to stand, I got to keep everybody divided, right? So if I can keep them divided on race or gender or socioeconomic class or whatever the case may be, as long and you know just go a little farther, I can keep the church divided. As long as I can keep the church divided, I don't have to worry about giving up much of my territory. But where there's unity, where brothers dwell in unity, there God commands the blessings, Psalm 133, right? And there's an anointing produced. And so if you're Satan and the last thing you want to see is God's kingdom come to earth, then keep everybody divided, you know, in hatred and bigotry and all these other things. Does that make sense? Um what does the Bible say about tattoos and remembrance of a lost loved one? It really doesn't say anything at all about tattoos and the remembrance of a lost loved one. Um, you know, I, now, we, I got a question last night. Are tattoos right or wrong? Uh, to me, I think you and Jesus just need to work it out. Um, I understand some people say, well, in Levit- Le- Leviticus, it talks about not um, not marking up your body or whatever, and I think your temple is a body, and I think you need to think, I mean, wisdom, you know, because I've seen a lot of people that had to modify tattoos or change their name or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I think wisdom means you want to look at that. But you know, if you're thinking about getting a tattoo to memorialize a loved one, I think that's between you and God. If that's something you want to do, I don't see a problem. The Bible doesn't really speak to it at all. And, um, and so if that's something you want to do, I'd pray about it, maybe really think it through, talk about it. Um, and then, you know, let, let the Holy Spirit guide you. But the Bible doesn't really, the Bible doesn't really speak to that. Uh, how do you know if you're going to, to heaven or hell? Um, (laughs) uh, well, um, you know, first of all, I think it's a good question because you assume there is a a heaven and a hell and we have Bible school students now. I think 70% of seminary students don't believe in hell, uh, now. And, um, and so it's, which is silly because Jesus talked a lot about hell. And uh, he made a lot of clear statements about hell. Um, at, at the end of the day, there is a hell and and it wasn't prepared for people. So God did, God prepared this place of hell, it was a plan. But hell was a place for fallen angels and Satan. And, and actually hell will be cast into a lake of fire, so there's like a second death. Um, and so... Uh, we see that in the book of Revelation. And so who goes in that? Well, according to the book of Revelation, those whose names are not written in the book of life. In other words, they've not received life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. So Jesus came offering this thing called life. You know, we we call it salvation, called a lot of things, but the problem that Jesus was trying to solve um, was not the problem of bad behavior. The problem Jesus was trying to solve was the problem of death, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, they died. So that's the problem. And dead people do a lot of things to try to feel alive. And that's what we call sin, All right? <clears throat> and so the problem that Jesus was trying to solve was not actually um, not actually bad behavior. He was trying to solve death. So that's why Jesus said, I came to give you life and give you life abundantly or to the fullest. So, so it's, that speaks, you know, we're talking about a qu- eternal life. That's not a, a Uh, A quantity of how long it lasts. It's a quality of what it actually is. Um, And so Jesus said, I came to give you life. And so if your name is in the book of life, then you get to be uh, in the presence of the Lord forever. So you you get to be not in hell. So you get to be in the restoration of all things, heaven and earth, new heaven, new earth, all that. And then, you know, how you spend that eternity. So um, is based on what you did with Jesus so there's two judgments, right? So the judgment is, do you believe in Jesus? The judgment is, you, you did, uh, say another way, did, did you accept Christ or did you express faith in him or did you live for him? So that's one judgment. The other judgment is for those who did not have faith in Jesus, they did not trust in Jesus. And then after that, both are judged based on their works. So some there's different levels of hell and there's different layers, uh, levels of, of the reality of what we would call the kingdom of God or heaven, so both will be rewarded by your works, and we've kind of talked about that, and we kind of missed that, that getting into heaven's one thing, but then you give an account for everything you did after you received Christ, right? So, you know, over here you could have an agnostic who's a really good person, but they never expressed faith in Christ. I think their hell looks a little different than Adolf Hitler's, right? Because I think, and the Bible makes this clear, by the way, that both are judged based on their works, so if you go to hell, you're going to be judged based on your works. If you go to heaven, you're going to be judged based on your works. How do you get from heaven to hell? It's very simply. Simple answer, faith. Do I trust in Jesus? And and I want to go, there was a phrase, I think it's in the original King James, where they said, believe on the na- on the Lord Jesus, believe on the on the Lord. And I like the word on instead of in. I like the preposition there. And the reason is because a lot of people say, well, I believe in. Well, you know, when my kid's are little, they might have believed in Santa Claus, right? But there's a difference in believing in something, right? Some people believe we landed on the moon. Some people still don't think we landed on the moon, right? But there's a difference in believing in certain things, right? Some people really believe in Ginkgo biloba and feel like it helps their memory. There's a difference in believing in and trusting on, right? One is, yeah, I believe in that, that thing. And one is I've, I've built my life on it. So in and on, in and on. Does that make sense? And, and I think <clears throat> there's a lot of people that think they're saved that probably aren't. And in the Bible Belt, we have a lot of them. Because grandma prayed, and I believe, I believe in a God. All right, well, having faith, what does faith always produce? Obedience. If there's nothing in your life that is changing around what God requires or is speaking to you, there's no obedience in your life, you're not really saved. You know, you might as well believe in an Easter bunny. Was that too harsh? No, I think it's true. And so I think there's a lot of people who think they're saved because, well, I believe there is a God. There's a difference. Um, let me help you one. You believe there is a God? Great. So does Satan and all, his, all of his angels. That's scripture. Like, they all believe in God, and they're all going to go into the lake of fire. Right? So there's a difference in believing in and believing on and trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ and letting the Holy Spirit work in me and change me and grow me and produce fruit under righteousness. And I think this is the danger of religion. So many people think, well, I prayed the prayer. Okay, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. There is a committed lifestyle to Jesus Christ where he becomes everything or nothing at all. That's what's in the Bible. No sinner's prayer, no magic words, no fairy dust, no I get to heaven, you know, if a rainbow poops, none of that kind of stuff. (laughs) What is in the Bible is faith on the Lord Jesus which changes my life forever, causes me to live a different way, causes me to go a different way, causes me to become a different person, that is trusting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as opposed to believing there's a God somewhere and because I believe there's a God somewhere, we're okay. You know, Jesus said, I'll say in that day to many, depart for I never knew you. And they'll say, hey, we prophesied in your name. right?" So now we're talking about church people. <laughs> hey, we did all this great stuff in your name. He says, great to do stuff in my name, but you needed to believe on me. You need to believe on me. And so, um, so anyways, I think, so how do we get to heaven or who goes to hell? It's determined by who has trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ and is letting the Holy Spirit work in them and transform them, and they are following Jesus with everything that they have, Right? Those, those are the people that are going to be with God in heaven. And the people who have not had that faith and they've not trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ, those are the people that unfortunately are going to end up in hell. And by the way, God doesn't send you there. You get to pick. Everybody gets to pick. Hell is just reserved for the people where God respects your choice not to be with him. Right? Because that's another, how could a good God send people to hell? He doesn't, in fact, God, uh, from the time you've been born, God's thrown out roadblocks. And so uh, this church is a roadblock. Your grandma's prayers is a roadblock, right? Your parents' faith is a roadblock. Uh, the Christian evangelist is a roadblock. Uh, the pastor, you know, your Sunday school class, your friend, your teacher at school, you know, the the Christian radio. God has thrown out roadblock after, roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Even the Bible says, even the stars, all of creation declares the glory of God. So if you've ever walked outside, breathed there, looked at a star, looked at a tree, saw a deer run by, God is throwing out a roadblock to say, there's something bigger than you and you should stop and recognize and have faith in it. And so God has never sent anyone to hell, but he will serve certainly respect your right to not choose him. So does that make sense? All right. Praise the Lord. I feel like that was fun. You guys doing all right? Why don't you stand? We'll call that. Let me make sure. I think that was the last one they were going to send me. Yeah. Last one. Yep. So, All right. And so how do you know? How do you know if you're going to heaven? How do you know if you go to hell? The Bible says, when I come to faith in Jesus, his spirit bears witness with my spirit. So there is an inner witness. There's something in here that's changed. And I start to live a certain way, start to do certain things differently, right? Because there's an inner witness in my spirit that I know I've received Christ. It has become real to me. It is it is right is something alive in me that's that's how i'm supposed to know and if i haven't had that experience i may be stuck in this religious trap of just assuming because i go to church or think there's a god that i'm saved and the bible says that with our heart we believe and with our mouth we confess that's where we get there like when it becomes a core issue of my being inside me i believe and that's what comes out of my mouth that's where salvation romans 9 uh, 10 9 and 10 right with the with the heart one believes unto salvation with the mouth confession is made unto righteousness um that's how i that's how i know there's something in In me that knows that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, and now a new life has begun, and now I work it out now, I work it out not everything's perfect I don't have it all right; I just know something new has started right, and so will you bow your heads and and let me pray with you?